Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined not this time by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. This is a special Christmas edition of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and we've got a very interesting show for you guys. With the UFC going dark for a few weeks, we realized that we're going to take a look at some of the regional promotions that keep this crazy sport ticking. The first of our installments of these shows is going to be about Cage Titans 57, which is coming to you on January 7th, live from Plymouth, Massachusetts. And today we'll be talking to their headliner, Joe Gianetti, the ultimate fighter finalist, about his fight in that organization, as well as his quest to get back to the UFC. And then a little bit later on in the show, I will be joined by the owner-operator of Cage Titans, Michael Polvier. So, you can enjoy all that great content in just a moment, but before you do, I do have to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Pickett. Pickett is the social betting platform that allows you to sync all the action from your sportsbooks in one nice, neat little spot. Not only that, but you can stay up to date on all the bets your friends are dropping and show off your big scores as well. It's also a great place to build a following if you're an up-and-comer in the sports betting content world or, hey, maybe you're a well-established veteran looking to expand that audience. They've got it for you, whether you're new, regular, or an experienced better. Stop what you're doing and join the Picket community today by downloading the app on the Google Play Store or in the App Store. Picket brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready, the fighters are ready, listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Joe Gianetti, who fights Solo Meda at Cage Titans 57. That fight is, of course, on January 7th. So, Joe, I, I wanted to start off by talking to you about Cage Titans and just what it's meant for your career. Because, you know, obviously the goal to get back to the UFC, but you're getting a chance to stop back in your own stomping grounds, double champion, all that kind of stuff. So, for a Massachusetts boy like you, what has it meant to be able to fight in Plymouth that many more times? Uh, it's been pretty cool. Like I told a couple people, like the biggest disappointment about like my route to like the ultimate fighter and the UFC and stuff, like the only disappointment was not getting the cage Titans professional belt. You know, I got the cage Titans amateur belt when nobody thought I would when I was an amateur. And I feel like before I went on the show, people thought I wasn't capable of getting the professional belt. So I wanted to get that before the UFC. Um, and obviously I ended up where I ended up and I'm back and I got it. And now I'm just defending it one more time. I love it. I love it. Now, you mentioned defending it one more time, and, and you're defending the 155-pound belt, but obviously as the champ champ, the 55 and the 70, 55 has always been your more common weight, but is 70 something that you would consider again in the future? You know, should it be UFC or wherever else you are fighting? Uh, Yeah, for sure. I mean, if if it was a last-minute call for the UFC, you know, like Santiago Ponza Nibio had an opponent pull up for this weekend, uh, I threw my name in the hat, you know. Um, the right opportunity, I'd definitely do it again. And then I'm sure in the future I'll find a, I'll find a home at that weight class. But for now, I'm still a 55 for sure. And, and is there a reason why you, you're sure that that's like the future? Is it that just the weight cut and age and all that kind of stuff and bulking up? You, you imagine 170 being your eventual home? 
Yeah, for sure. It's it's just one of those things where like when I'm at 170 and I'm able to take the time and do it right, like I feel super strong. Um, and I feel like I have a good size and frame for that weight. But when I go back to 55, I lose some of that strength. Still obviously competitive enough at 55 and still able to be successful. But I feel like as I get older, the weight cuts just going to keep getting harder and harder. Um, and you know, trying to keep that strength while having harder cuts. I, I have a feeling that just like eventually I'll make the decision to go up, but I've still got a couple more years at 55. I love it. I love it. Now you mentioned, you know, being active on social media and hitting up Nick Maynard every chance you get and tagging Dana White on every short notice opportunity. Like, do, do you feel like it's been close that you're one of those guys that is right on the heels of one of those opportunities? Or, you know, like if, if you feel like you just haven't had the contact that makes you feel like you're close yet? Um, I feel like, honestly, I feel like because I've offered to step in so many times that they might even just kind of be like, is this kid serious? Because I've offered <laughs> to step in. I've offered to step in for like, I don't want to say nobody's because that's disrespectful, but like guys that aren't huge names in the UFC that needs replacements. And I've offered to step in against big names. I've offered to step in against Dan Hooker. I've op- offered to step in against Ponzinibbio. Uh, and I think that when you see that, people are like, all right, this kid's just doing whatever he can to get a UFC contract. And it's like, no, I'll fight those guys. Because, like, I might end up fighting those guys one day. So why not? Yeah, absolutely. And now I, I wanted to talk to you about a step up in opponents, too. Because obviously, you know, fighting in Cage Titans, fighting on the regional scene again, Sometimes it's difficult to get somebody with a lot of experience. And in order to get some of those calls, sometimes, you know, the UFC wants to see that you fought somebody who's fought 20 or 30 times. And, you know, you had a fight with a 14 and 10 guy fall through. And I know you've had a couple of other fights fall through. How, how frustrating is that for you when you, you know, you know, you have a guy lined up that is going to be that nice name on the resume and it, it falls through? Uh, it sucks, man, because it's one of those things where. You know, a few years back, I would say it sucks because people say I don't fight anybody good. And that was my chance to. Now it's because I know the UFC wants to see me fight somebody good. And I'm offering and trying to fight these good guys. And they just don't make it to the cage. And I know that there's just millions of fighters out there that are like, nobody will fight me. Da, 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 da. So I just sound like another one of them. But it is something that I deal with. Um, so that's why I kind of just whoever gets in the cage gets in the cage and we fight them. Um, but, you know, if. My next step up in competition is the UFC. Like, you know, nobody in between there will fight me. Then it is what it is. That's why, you know, I come out to California to AKA and I just do these UFC level fight camps. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about that too, about the trips out to AKA because, you know, you're, you're really on social media talking about the Skeletor bus and, you know, the, the trip out. And then, you know, we get to see all the behind the scenes for what it's like. What has this camp been like for you and, and how much time have you had with those guys at this point? Uh, it's been really good so far, you know, so the last week, my first week out here, it was kind of tough getting whooped every day of the week. Uh, I'm finally starting to get back into the swing of things and get my flow. Uh, I'm staying at DC's wrestling Academy. Um, so, you know, it's been super, super convenient this camp, you know, um, just having, you know, I walk right downstairs and there's a fully matted gym, there's weights, everything I need, bikes, treadmills. Uh, and then I drive 15 minutes up the road to AKA and get everything I need with all my training partners. So it's been awesome. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to putting everything that I'm training into fight night. Awesome. And now you you, you mentioned kind of it, it's isolated, right? You've got your spot. It's above the gym and the other gym's 15 minutes away. And you're, you know, the entire country away from Massachusetts, your entire country away from both where you fight and where you live. Is that sort of how you prefer fight camps? Is that sort of how you, you like to run things where it's, you know, singular focus? Um. Yes and no. It's like my mind kind of bounces between the two where it's just like, 
you know, it's like, oh, I miss my girlfriend. Oh, I miss my dad. I miss my dog. I miss everybody back home. But then, like, the closer and closer that I get to fight night, I just, like, I zone in and hone in so much more on, like, my opponent and, like, my skill set and everything. Um, I definitely think that it is a big benefit. Whether I like it or not, I do think being isolated has been a big benefit um, and a big part in my performances lately. And how long are you going to spend in Massachusetts before fight night? Are you going to be out here for a week? Are you going to be out here for a couple of days? So I'll be back in Massachusetts on New Year's Eve. All right, so seven seven days. That's a good amount to get, you know, fight week ready. I like it. Now, you mentioned, you know, we're going to go back to this, the, the reputable opponents, having guys with big records and knowing that that's what the UFC needs to see and needs to hear. How important was it when you heard that Saul Almeida, a guy with Bellator experience, a guy who's been in their tournaments, a guy who's, you know, has a not just a name in the Northeast, but has a name all over, was going to be your next opponent? Uh, that was like that, that was like Christmas came early. You know, that was like the name that I needed. That's the, that's the win I need on my resume. Uh, I really think that, you know, if I beat him, there's not much more you can really say, you know. Uh, I've taken my bumps and bruises. I've taken my wins and my losses and, and done what I needed to do, you know? So I think I make 155 pounds. I put Salamito away. There's really no more of a case left to make. Uh, it's just a matter of when they decide to sign me and who they put in front of me to beat first. I love it. Now, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Salamito stylistically because not only is he one of the more reputable guys you've seen, but since you've gone back to Cage Titans or LFA or wherever, he's probably one of the better grapplers you've seen. You know, he's a guy who loves the ground game, you know, has a game, maybe not exactly like yours, but a little bit more like yours than a lot of your past opponents. What are sort of your thoughts on what he looks like on the mat? Uh, I think he's good, man. Um, I think the thing is, though, is I think he's a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and this is MMA, you know, and I say it to people all the time and to people I train with and they don't believe me until they train with me. Like I'm an MMA fighter, you know, like people like to say like, Oh, he's more of a grappler. He's more of a this. I'm an MMA fighter. Um, my jujitsu and my wrestling and my kickboxing separately are pretty decent. I think they're pretty good. But when you put it into MMA and mix it with everything else, I'm that much better. It just flows so much better. Um, and as good as he is a jujitsu and he is very good, I, I don't think he's on my level as far as MMA jujitsu is. I like it. Now, I want to get a prediction from you. That's always how I try to end these interviews. But I also do really love asking the stories about where fight nicknames come from. And Skeletor, there, there's only one Skeletor. There might be multiple Bamans, a thousand Pitbulls, but there's one Skeletor. So give me the story. Where's the nickname Skeletor come from? Uh, so my original gym, when I got into fighting, we obviously don't pick your nickname. And my coach never told us our nicknames going into the fights. Um, and until one really sticks, it changes every time. And so I think it was my third amateur fight and my fight was actually, cause this is back when we thought I'd be a 45er. Uh, I cut down and fought at 150 as, at a catch weight and a bunch of my friends were making fun of me and they're like, Oh, you're so skinny. Like you look at Skeletor. Like when I would go to the grocery store or something, when I was cutting weight, you know, I wear like hoodies and stuff. People would look at me funny cause this super skinny kids walking in like hoodie up. And so my friends were like, you look like Skeletor, ha ha, all this stuff. And then I got to the venue for the fight and the announcer was like, hey, what's your nickname, kid? And I was like, I don't know. Go ask my coach. He doesn't tell me. And he was like, all right. And then I got in the cage and I was, you know, waiting for him to call me out. And they announced me as Skeletor. And I kind of looked at my coach like, oh, like he must have talked to my friends. Like, that's funny, whatever. And then after I won the fight, I went back to him and I was like, oh, so did you bump into my friends? Like, is that how you came up with Skeletor? And he was like, what are you talking about? 
And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, no, they just asked me. And I just went with Skeletor. And I was like, my friends have been giving me shit all week that I look like Skeletor. And he's like, well, then I guess that's what it is. That's awesome. That's awesome. Was there any, I got to ask if it was your third fight. What, what were, do you remember either of the other two? Did, did they come close to sticking? Uh, so I, I don't remember the second one, but I'll never forget the first one. So that summer I was at the beach a lot and I am Italian, so I tan very well. Um, so my very first amateur fight, they were announcing me and I was Jersey Shore Joe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I, like I said, I didn't know what it was going to be. And so I heard that and I was like in the cage trying to be serious. And I just started laughing and I was super tan and I was like, yeah, you got me there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an excellent nickname story. Now, like I said, I always like to try to end these things on a little bit more of a serious note. Give us a prediction for January 7th. How do you see this one ending? So I would like to put Salamito away within the first two rounds. Personally, I think that I'm just going to dominate and beat him up bell to bell. Uh, he's a tough vet in the sport, doesn't go away easily. And that's what I, that's what I realistically think is going to happen. I think it's going to be five, ten, eight rounds. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This has been Joe Giannetti, who fights Saul Almeida at Cage Titans 57. That fight is on January 7th. Joe, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Joe Giannetti. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, joined today not by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Joining me today, instead, is the owner of Cage Titans MMA, fresh, ready to go before Cage Titans 57. I'm talking to Michael Pulver. Michael, first of all, thanks for joining me. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, look forward to catching up with you. So, uh, watched some of your stuff in the past, so, yeah, let's go. I, I love it. Thank you so much for that. Now, I, I want to start by talking about you, the, the promotion in general and your choice to kick off the promotion on the first weekend of the year. You know, a lot of MMA organizations, you know, maybe do something on New Year's or, you know, go blank for the last few weeks of the year and the first few weeks of the year. Even the UFC is doing that. What what sort of made you decide that uh, January 7th is, is Cage Titans Day? Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because we – We've been in business 13 years. We're going to our 14th year. Um, and we used to go, our first show of the year was always the bye week before the Super Bowl. So we used to always kick it off like the last week of January with our first show. Um, then obviously they added the extra week. Uh, last year we kicked it off the first week of February. But uh, this year, basically what happened is our last event scheduled for the year was October 29th, uh, Halloween weekend. And I had guys like Joe Giannetti, Brendan Battles, um, and a few, Peter Barrett and a few of these other guys that are fighting on this January 7th card that they were like, Mike, we didn't get on the October 29th card. We don't want to wait until the end of January, beginning of February to fight. What's the earliest date you can get for us? Um, and essentially, I was trying to pull off a date. Um, it would have been this weekend, actually, at our venue, Plymouth Memorial Hall. And unfortunately, they had a few holiday concerts. It just wouldn't work out that we could sneak a date in there. So I essentially had the card matched. And I just said, all right, whatever. These guys are ready. They're professional fighters. Uh, this is how they make their living. And they're willing to sacrifice over the holidays. I'm going to give them the outlet to perform and not make them wait any longer. So that's how it kind of came to fruition. I love it. And you mentioned Plymouth Memorial, too, as being, you know, your venue. It's the spot for Cage Titans. And it's for anybody who hasn't ever been there before. It is a hell of an MMA venue Talk a little bit about, like, you know, your choice to not travel around that much, not do other places, and stick right there in Plymouth. Yeah, man, it, it, it's kind of funny. Like, obviously, I didn't think about this back then when we started there. But, you know, very much like 
Dana White's publicly said he loves doing shows at the Apex. It's his home. You know, they, they kind of built it for them. They know the ins and outs and all that stuff. It's kind of like us at Memorial Hall. You know, I fought for the uh, at Memorial Hall back in 2009 uh, before I started Cage Titans. And it's just it's the best venue for a, prom- a regional promotion, you know, um, from the capacity to way it's, it's an old theater. So it's the way it's set up. It's stadium seating all around. A lot of regional shows you'll see it like flat level ballrooms with folding chairs and standing room. It, this just venue, it just it, it, it's a character in itself. So um, as we were looking for a new home, you know, we started our company in 2010 at Lombardo's in Randolph, which was that flat venue uh, ballroom. Uh, we did an ice arena up in New Hampshire. We did a union hall um, in Boston. And in 2011, we decided to come to Memorial Hall, and uh, we've been there ever since. It's just, it's just the amazing venue. And though I've reached, reached, other venues have reached out to try to, you know, get us to go there. It's just, it just, the, our fighters have said the same thing to me. They're like, "There's no better place to fight. There's, it, it's really no better place to fight." Like, I guess there's nothing else to say, you know. And 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 we've decided to make it our home. And um. You know, I've relocated. I've located my family to Plymouth. I'm from, you know, now I live in Plymouth the last six years. Um, we'd love to be involved in the community down here in Plymouth. Um, my kids go to the school. So it's just nice. Um, where are you from? I, I see the Red Sox. Yeah. So I am a I am a Western Mass guy. I live out in the uh, the Amherst area. Um, okay. so, so yeah, o- almost all the way to the Berkshires, but yeah, I'm, I'm a Massachusetts guy. Yeah. I got, I got Red Sox stuff up here. I've got, uh, I've got a cowboy stuff too, but yeah, yeah, I was going to mention that. <laughs> but the reason I say it is because, you know, if you're from, from Massachusetts, New England area, think about the Pawtucket Red Sox. And they were the minor league professional, you know, baseball players for the Red Sox. Pawtucket, when you think Pawtucket, you think Pawtucket Red Sox. Um, and, you know, and when you think Plymouth, you think Cage Titans. Like, uh, uh, we, we've really been ingrained in the culture down here in the, in the town. And uh, it's 40 minutes from Boston. Uh, America's hometown. When fighters come in from out of state, we've had a, we had fighters come in from Europe. We had uh, fighters come in from Brazil. We've had you know Alaska, Hawaii. They they love the fact that it's America's hometown. You know we let them down when we bring them to Plymouth Rock because it's not really that exciting. <laughs> but uh, you know it, it's just a fun time and, and we love the venue and we love uh, the town and and, and and it's and it's been great. And as a Massachusetts boy, I can 100% vouch for, for Plymouth, Massachusetts and, and Memorial Hall, too. So I, I got to ask then, so as a business owner, as somebody with a promotion, you know, like, without a doubt, everybody always wants to expand a little bit, to be a little bit bigger, to be a little bit better. To What does that then mean for Cage Titans? Because you, like you said, th- this is your home. You've made it actually literally your home. Does it mean more events in Plymouth? Does it mean at some point in time there will be larger events or further away? You're like, what does that mean for you in the long term? Yeah, man, it's, it, it's funny you say that. And you actually, you know, you had some good insight. You, you actually said it and you answered the question for me in, in there. Um, you know, people say you want a bigger boat or do you want more boats? And where are the philosophy of more boats? Um, you, you know, if, if we could do a show every other month, which, you know, we used to do every 10 weeks. Um, then this past year, we did February 5th, February 25th. Then we did um, April. Then we did June. Then we came back the next month in July. Then we did August, October. Like, you know, for me, I think that, you know, we can go to bigger venues and, and such. But 
Um, I'd like to just see us do more more shows. I mean, maybe a cage signs every month if we ever got to that point. You know, um, it, I would never rule out. You know, it, it would be cool, I guess, to go to Encore and or MGM out in your area. You know, uh, a casino. I fought at a casino down at Mohegan Sun when I was fighting. So it is a cool atmosphere um, to be doing those type of venues. Um, but I think you sacrifice a little bit, you know, for what we have. Um, a lot of times when you go to those casinos or those ballroom type of venues, uh, you're there for like the socialization. And then there's fights going on in the backgrounds and, and the fights are kind of secondary while you're there. You know, all the bright lights and everything with the casinos and all that stuff. Um, you know, there's big areas for you to kind of gather up and, and, and just socialize while the fights are going on in the background. Um, at Memorial Hall, like the fights are going on. They're, everybody has a seat. There's no standing room. So you're there. You're sitting. You're, you know, engulfed in this whole atmosphere and, and the whole event as a whole. So uh, I'm not going to rule out those places, but I think that. If I ever looked at those type of venues, uh, we'd sacrifice kind of our secret sauce, which is 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 what we do in the venue that we're in. I agree entirely. Now, I, I want to ask you about something you said there. You were, you were talking about the double February event because you are an event that in the past have been, you know, every other month or you've tried to space things out. And then you like out of nowhere, two events in a single month. Was that just. I got more fighters than I have slots for them, and, and I had to roll out a second show? Or what, what was sort of the impetus behind that? Yeah, I mean, we did two shows in one day. We did a, dub, a day-night doubleheader back in November right after COVID. I think that we had so many fighters just sitting on the shelf, and, and their careers are on hold. Like, um, you know, for a lot of people during COVID, it was a tough time. But, you know, they got unemployment, government assistance. You know, their jobs are still paying them to stay home, things of that nature. Our fighters you know, they were essentially, if you don't fight, it, it's absolutely true. You don't fight, you don't get paid. So, and, and not only that, like they need these fights at our level to maybe get that stage at the UFC or, uh, you know, a PFL or a Bellator or things of that nature. So like they needed these repetitions at the local level. Um, and when everything got put on hold, they didn't have that opportunity. So their careers were whole on hold. And not only that, a lot of these fighters, um, this is all they do. And, and they were taking valuable years off their career. You know, a guy who's 28 going into COVID comes out of it at 30. And the UFC kind of likes that 18 to 30 gap. You know, he could have been the best prospect. Now he sits on the shelf for two years and and he might not have that opportunity in the UFC. So for me, what really boils down to the, the, the crux of your question is, is that there were so many fighters willing and ready to fight. I know they sat for so long. So if I had a name that, that put their name in for my show, hella high water, I was going to match them up a fight. And I didn't care if I had to do two shows in one night like we did, um, you know, uh, the day-night doubleheader back in November. Um, I don't care if we have to do two shows in one month. Um, then in June, we had so many fighters for our June 4th card. We added a second date for July 2nd. So we just kind of simultaneously matched two cards. Um, you know, if, if there's fighters, you know, hungry, willing, and able – to get in the cage and, and throw down, I, I do whatever I can for those guys to give them that opportunity. And that's such a good message too. Now I want to ask you one more piece about the promotional side of things, because you know, you're a guy who, like I said, trying to make the company as big as you can talk to me about how a cage Titans beer came about, because I, I love the fact that you've got 
the fight night beer that comes out especially for your events. Tell me a little bit more about how, how you came up with that, how it came to you. Yeah. You know, um, I got to give a huge shout out to Rob Pico. He's one of our fans. He buys cage side seats every event. Um, his son-in-law fought for us probably five, six years ago and had two fights and then stopped fighting. And then this guy just was such a fan of the fights and cage signs in general that he just kept coming back, buying front row tickets. And he was a huge super fan. Uh, right before COVID, we did uh, our year end of the awards. We gave away a super fan award and uh, he was up in the running for that. So basically prior to COVID, this was in the works. Um, he came to me and said, hey, there's a brewery in Plymouth. I, I will put it out there. I'm not a beer drinker. I mean, I don't drink beer. Um, I have a restaurant in Quincy, but I am not a beer drinker. Um, so he's a big beer guy. He's like, I go to this brewery every time before the show. I do a pregame there. Uh, it's called Second Wind Brewery. I think you should try to connect with them. They're local. They're in Plymouth. Like, let's see if they'll do a beer. And we went to them pre-COVID, and it didn't seem like the timing was working for them as they were trying to grow their brand. Um, and then when we had Cage Science 50, that event I mentioned in November, the day-night doubleheader, they reached back out to me and was like, hey, man, the timing's right. Uh, we want to do something big to commemorate your 50th show. Um, we want to take a crack at that bear idea that you had. And and Rob Pico, it just shows, like, I say we are Cage Science, it actually says on my shirt, too. You know, like, that's not just some marketing ploy. I, I say this all the time. Like, that's how we feel. Like, that guy, Rob Pico, started as a fan, and now here he is helping collaborate this whole beer thing that everybody's been loving uh so we met with second wind and the rest as they say is history you know they started brewing a beer every show they gave me the luxury of designing the beer can so it's commemorative i always take whatever our poster idea is and, and tweak the can to make it to them uh to their size specifications but it has the same look and the feel as of, of our poster so it really ties the whole event together, and 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 it's been a great collaboration. Um, and actually, I'm excited to say it's it's taken off so well. So Second Wind has been doing our Fight Night IPA. You're gonna hear it here first. 42 Parallel is a brewery in Kingston. They're gonna be uh, brewing a beer for us at Cage Times 57 on January 7th. Um, they're gonna be doing uh, a little bit more easy drinking Pilsner. Um, the idea that I floated at them is like a lightweight lager. And uh, they got this great Pilsner formula that they're going to they're going to brew up for us. So uh, we're going to be debuting a second brewery and a second version of the Cage Titans beer um, on January 7th. I love it. I love it. You got the exclusive here, folks. So we're going to get start talking about that Cage Titan 57 show. But real quick, I do have to let you know that this has been brought to you by MyBookie. Your favorite athletes always strive to put themselves in a winning position, and it is about time you did too with MyBookie. MyBookie is the biggest online selection of odds and contests to fill all your sports betting needs anytime, anywhere. Bet on the best in combat sports like the UFC or play for a share of big prizes in their weekly blackjack tournaments. Sign up at MyBookie.com and use promo code TOPTURTLE on a deposit of 500 bucks or more, and you will get a bonus of up to $200. Once again, that's promo code TOPTURTLE to claim a brand new deposit bonus to sign for bettors looking to get their cash in and out quickly. Experience sports in a whole new light and make this season a winning one. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. So uh, let's talk about Cage Titans 57 a little bit because... Can I ask you a question? Yeah, Absolutely. Where did you come up with the name Top Turtle? I, I'm sure you've done it in multiple <laughs> yeah. interviews, but you know, like me, when I do interviews, people ask me the same questions over and over, and I just got to. I'm gonna ask you, where'd you come up with the name? 
Yo, it's, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that. So me and my usual co-host, I've actually never answered this online for, for anybody oh, okay. who is curious. You, you are the first person to, to ask a question back. So me and my co-host, uh, we're jiu-jitsu guys. Uh, we're jiu-jitsu nerds. He's actually a brown belt now. I'm a purple belt. Um, so okay. we've been training both for a little bit over a decade. And probably seven years ago, he was like, hey, we should start a podcast. We're already talking about all the fights every single week while we're on the mats. Uh, might as well you know, talk about him and maybe make some money in the process too. So, uh, he floated all kinds of names that, uh, he possibly liked, you know, mom's basement MMA. Cause we were recording in a basement when we first started and didn't have any recording equipment really, or anything like that. Or, you know, he had a whole bunch of different ones. And I, you know, I said, I wanted something that sounded MMA tangent. Like it, it sounds like MMA, but it sounded like it was also something that could just be on its own and you would never know it was MMA unless we threw MMA at the end of it. And he said, well, you know, top turtle is a position we get to all the time in jujitsu. You know, why, why not top turtle? And, you know, we could have a little turtle mascot, which actually, if you, you go back and listen to our very earliest episodes, the little picture was a little turtle mascot. Um, it was, it was terrible. It was awful looking, but, uh, and now we, me and him actually joked for years afterwards. Uh, it's an awful name. Uh, <laughs> we, it, cause it doesn't, like you said, it, it doesn't make it clear what we're doing. Uh, you know, you, the, the best names say what you're doing. Cage Titans. We know it's in a cage. We know it's a guy's throwing leather back and forth and, uh, top turtle, unless you know pretty intimately about the positions of jujitsu or MMA doesn't yeah. really do that. So, uh, yeah, the, the origin was. It was the thing that sounded the least like MMA while still being MMA adjacent. Um, well, there you go. I gave you the beer exclusive. <laughs> now you just gave us the name exclusive. And it's so funny. My background is in marketing and sales. And that was the origin of kind of Cage Titans. Um, I was, we were bouncing some ideas around. And somebody came to me as Cage with a K, Titans Fighting Organization. And they wanted the acronym to be KTFO, obviously, you know, and he was like, he thought it was the best idea in the world. It's like, it's been amazing. We got to go for it. And, you know, there was other ideas we floated around, but exactly like when you have a name and you're trying to brand, like you want people to know right away. Um, you know, that's kind of a knock. Sometimes people say on Bellator, they're like, what the hell's a Bellator? Uh, you know, so I kind of took the name and I was just like, well, if you try to Google cage Titans and use it as a K cause you're trying to be trendy or cool, you're not going to know it's spelt with a K so you'll never find it. So then we kind of changed it to a C and then kind of like a throwback to pride FC cage Titans FC sort of fighting organization, fighting championship. Um, so that's kind of how we came, came up with our name. Yeah. Yeah. So we should have taken a little bit more of a page out of your book, but now we're seven years in and, uh, it's a little too late to change it. You're stuck with it now, man. You gotta roll with it. You can't get rid of it now. So let, let's talk about Gage Titans 57. Cause I, I love this card for a bunch of reasons. The first big one for me that I love is literally a big one. Uh, you know, you decided after 57 events to crack out a heavyweight title with, Breaded Battles, a guy who we've gotten to see a couple of times in Cage Titans. And Jamel Jones, a guy who we've seen all around in a whole bunch of different places on, on Contender Series, you know, on, on other promotions. What about these two both looking for a fight and these two being, you know, ready seemingly at the t same time made you think to yourself, it's time. It's time to put a strap on somebody here. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of cool you asked that. You know, basically, Brendan Battles was just a monster when he first started fighting back when he was an amateur and came in came to us as an amateur fighter and you know he was fresh out of school and you know the the lore of him being such just a massive heavyweight state champion wrestler 
going on to UConn, playing football and things like that. Like, basically, like, it was almost impossible for him to get fights. Uh, so we did our best to get him some fights as amateurs. Then he went pro, and he had an opportunity to find a Dana White uh, looking for a fighter. And he probably kind of jumped in that deep end a little too soon. Um, you know, him and his team thought, hey, we can fight in front of Dana. Let's, uh, you know, take this opportunity. Um, after he, he came up short in that, he stepped away from the sport. Uh, he had two children. Uh, he started his own uh, construction landscaping company. And he just kind of stepped away. And I, I something lit a fire under him in the last year, maybe during COVID, I want to say, because once COVID was done and we started putting events, I started hearing his name again. And he started reaching out again. I'm thinking about taking a fight. And it was like, well, now people might forget about you. So it might be easier. So let's see what we can do. And, you know, we got him a fight uh, against Fred Gray, kind of get him back in there. He won that pretty handily, easily. Then he's like, listen, I, I want to fight some real guys. We got a Marsh, who was a super tough guy who matched his accolades in wrestling. And, and he handled that well. And then he said to me, he said, Mike, I want you to find the toughest fight you can get me. He said, I don't have time. I have, you know, a wife and kids, a fledging business. Like, he does really well with his business. He said, when I fight, I'm losing money because I'm not on my job sites. So if I have what it takes to get to the UFC, I want to know now. I don't want to mess around for another year pot shot and victories and building my record and seeing, you know, like taking an easy fight here, taking a fight here, patting my record up to see if I can get there. I need to know now because if I don't, I'll go back to my life. I'll, I'll raise my kids. I'll, I'll start my, I'll keep my business going and I'll go back to that. No harm, no foul. But I want to know now. And he said, give me the hardest guy. And the rest was kind of the wheels in motion. I, a chance meeting actually between me and Jamil, he was on Facebook one day. Uh, yes, I'm old. I still use Facebook, <laughs> but he was on Facebook and he put up a post and I hit him up and he goes, well, I'm kind of in between, you know, I had a PFL contract. He said to go some wins and, you know, the contract's still there. I come back. He just won uh, a title up at United in Cal uh, Canada. Similar situation. A guy that no one wanted to fight, and he went up there and fought. Um, I'm familiar with Jamil when he fought for CES in New England uh, against Tyler King. Will Knight. I remember his contender series fight when he fought Michael Rodriguez, who Mike Rodriguez was uh, a pro fighter and an amateur title holder for us. So, uh he said, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of looking, I'm in between management. Like, can you reach out and call me? And I called him, we talked for 45 minutes and I was like, this is the guy, like this guy is legit. You know, obviously I watched some of his highlights before I talked to him and, and saw, you know, he was a two-time national champion, three-time All-American, you know, the, the book on battles is he's just monster heavyweight wrestler. And it was like, well, this guy can match that. And he's got some power athleticism. He's been on the highest level, the highest stage. And, and for me, I think two things, if battles can pass this test, this is exactly what he wants. And it shows that he does belong at that next level. He does belong in the conversation of UFC PFL tournament guy um, or, or those nature. But on the flip side, let's not take anything from Jamil Jones. Like, you know, he went one and two in the heavyweight tournament for PFL. Um, he had been on the contender series um, after that. His, his his two fight stint uh, losing skid with uh, PFL, they were like, go get some wins. He went out and got the, one of the toughest fights he can find up in Canada. And so he's been there. Like, hey, you're coming to the hometown guy's promotion and you're supposed to be the footnote on his career. 
and he turned him upside down on the head, and he, he took the guy out, I believe, in the first round and won their title. And here he is now. He's in that same exact situation. So he's no stranger to this. And and I think this fight is just one of the best fights we can make at heavyweight right now. And and I think that throwing the title up uh, for these guys, I, I'm honored that they're going to be fighting inside of our cage. Uh, this is one of those fights that gets could get worldwide attention. Uh, you take one look at Brendan Battles, you're like, oh, shit. Oh, OK. This guy, you know, is 6'5", every bit of 265 cutting down. He's he's. He is not a doughy, pot belly heavyweight guy like you so, see on the local scene sometimes. He has that look. He has that it factor. And then you look at Jamil Jones, and he's the same thing. He's a complete package as well. Uh, so th- this fight, I'm really honored. I don't think I'll get the belt around either one of them. So I'll throw <laughs> it up on their shoulder, and, and then they can take it where they go from there. Maybe a title defense, but maybe that phone could ring the next day, and, and they get a shot somewhere at some big other promotions. Yeah, and you, you mentioned guys looking to get big shots and, on other promotions to take that next step up. And you got another guy defending his belt in Joe Giannetti, who I talked to a little bit earlier on in the show, who's looking for that same thing. And, and he said to him to me, you know, like it's hard to get those big fights. It's hard to get that name of a guy with, you know, 20 pro fights and 25 pro fights that th- that's what the UFC wants to see Joe Giannetti against in order to give him another shot or, you know, for PFL to take a chance on him. And here you are, you went out and you found him that guy, much like you found Jamel Jones, you found him that guy in Saul Almeida, a guy who has been everywhere. He's fought everybody in the Northeast and in, in, in Bellator and in all kinds of promotions. He was a tournament guy for Bellator back when they were doing, you know, tournaments yeah. all the time. Like, how, how did it lead to getting him? And, and what do you think about this matchup between two guys who are very talented grapplers? Yeah, man, I mean... Joe Giannetti, he's made it no secret. Like, he'll fight anybody. He really doesn't decline anybody. He called out Ponsonibio um, this weekend. <laughs> yeah, he did. He, you know what? It was funny. He's, he texted me. And he was like, yo, can you call Shelby and tell him I'm ready? I'll fly myself out there, and uh, I'll cover all my own expenses. And I'm like, yeah, that's just not going to work. Because the last time I talked to Sean, Sean was like, hey, Joe, like, it was great that he won the 70 title, but if he's a 55er, keep him at 55, get him tough fights. And and then we'll we'll take a look and get him bring him back if he you know can put some wins together. Um, but Joe doesn't say no to anybody. And 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 I I, I love the contender, but I also hate the contender because they made it so tough to get these fighters to to take these tough fights at the local level. And because they know if they can get four five and zero, oh, shine themselves up a little nice, then this fall when the contender comes back, they get an opportunity to fight on the contender. Um, you know, so it, it, it's it's caused a weird dynamic on the local scene. And then there's a lot of promotions. So like there's a couple guys in new England that have offered to fight uh, Joe. And then it's like, well, you only fight for that promotion and he only fights for this promotion and, and, and this, that, and the other thing. So it just never, it's like, it never works out because um, they're on their path and Joe's on his and, and whatever. So as for Saul, what I love about Saul is you touched on a lot. He's been around forever and he's been fighting professionally since 2008. I remember uh, fighting on the same, on the scene with him when he was when he was a professional fighter. I was just an amateur uh, back in 20, 2008. Um, we started Cage Titans in 2010, so like he's been fighting before we even had Cage Titans, and he's still only 33 years old. Like do the math, he's been fighting professionally since he's 18. Um, you know, I was I was talking to somebody about him today. He's fought a who's who in New England, just UFC stars. You know, Calvin Cater, Rob Font. Matt Bissett, Tateki Matsuda, Sean Soriano, um, and I'm missing one. 
but it was like he's fought six UFC fighters, um, in, you know, in his career and not in the UFC. Like, so that just tells you the level. And he's he, he oh, Manny Bermudez was the other one. And he's going to the distance with these guys. The only guy that's that had finished him was Sean Soriano. Um, he's a killer. He was a training partner for Jose Aldo when Jose Aldo was on the, the Conor McGregor tour. He's been a training partner of Masvidal, Dustin Poirier, Anderson Silva, the Diaz. Like, he's been around. Um, and I've tried to match him for so many years. The thing with Saul is he has that weird style that just, like, kind of sucks you in. And he doesn't let you get a lot of offense on. So it, it, it makes for, like, a dirty kind of fight. And, and, and I think – I won't say who, but somebody – high up in the UFC said they were like, no one looks good fighting Slamita because he just has that style to drag you down. And, and, and that's really the, the, the book on Saul. Over that being said, like Saul's been asking me for this fight for a few years now. And I would see him at a show and I'd be like, yo, what's up, Saul? He's like, Hey, what's up? He's like, what about me and Giannetti? And I'm like, all right, when you're ready, you're in. And he's, he'd see me at the next show. Hey, what's up with me and Giannetti? When, when you're ready, Saul, let me know. And, and it was kind of like a wish list fight that I was like, yeah, it's, it's probably not going to happen. Like, you know, when you see guys at the show, the testosterone's going, it's like, oh, I, w- I want to fight. It's like, all right, tomorrow when you wake up, like, if you still want to fight, talk to me. So it was kind of one of those things, like, maybe we're just flirting with each other. And then over the summer, he was like, listen, I think I'm going to make it back. And I saw Joe just win the, the title, a second title. I want to I want to crack at him. And and. We, we reached out. We kind of made the agreement. We were going to bring him inside the cage at the last event, uh, but Saul couldn't make it. Uh, but we came to the agreement, and Saul's ready to go. And the fact that he's such a veteran of the sport and he's so actively trying to get this fight, it makes you think. It's like he sees something in Giannette. He's not going after him for anything else. He probably sees something in his game that he thinks he can exploit, and, and that makes it exciting for me. And for Giannetti's side – like a guy who's 20 and 12, the accolades that Saul had, the, the, the amount of time he has. This isn't like we're rolling out a guy that's a, a veteran at 40 years old and we're rolling out to shine up the young guy. Like Saul's 33, Joe's 27. You know, there's still a lot more, a lot more years on Saul's career, uh, obviously a lot more years on, on Joe's career as well. So, like, this is a great fight. Um, I know Saul hasn't competed in MMA in the last few years, but off the body of work, over his career. He's earned this place. He's earned this respect. Uh, he has that respect for me. And, and I think New England should be excited for this fight. And I think New England is excited for this fight. Now, I, we're almost out of time here. So I do have to ask you to give us the cliff notes on some of the hot prospects on here. I know you got Cam Arnold, a 2-0 and pro, uh, getting ready to, to come back into the cage. You got Andrew Valdina, who's you know 1-0 pro, very exciting. Give us some of the, the quick spark notes on some of these guys and what people should be excited for on the undercard. Man, you stole you stole everything from me. You know, Cam Arnold. You know, he was our first ever he, over one million views on our TikTok from his viral knockout from his debut against Rob Fuller. This guy has dynamite in his hands. He took everybody out that he fought in, in Maine. He's from his home state. Came down to Cage Signs a few shows ago and as an amateur. Then he went pro with us, and he's been sticking around. He knocks guys out. He throws leather. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Super exciting prospect at 135. Also, Valdini you mentioned. You know, he's always exciting. The gladiator came in, made his pro debut last show. He's back. Um, Hassan Graham, the bounty hunter, the big heavyweight. You know, he's, you know, if we got battles in Jamil Jones as the stars of right now, Hassan Graham's the star of tomorrow at the heavyweight division. I mean, he was 4-0 and or 5-0 and as an amateur, won our amateur title, defended our amateur title. 
And in his last event, he was making his pro debut against uh, a 3-0 undefeated Muay Thai specialist. And you were thinking, all right, well, somebody's going to be able to stand and trade with him. Knocked him out. Took him out in the first round. Son Graham's back. Um, so those are some good fights. Just because you're from Western Mass, Nate Russell from uh, Fighting Arts Academy. Um, this, is a, this is a great fight because this is something you don't ever see, in, especially in the amateur division. You know, usually every promotion has their own title. And, you know, sometimes you don't see the crossover. And it's like, oh, how do you say who the best flyweight, for instance, in this weight class in New England is? Well, like I have a title and NEF has a title and ECF and all these people have their own title and they never cross paths. Nate Russell has won four regional promotion titles. Uh, he's he, he's been around forever, eight and two, um, and he's taken on Tyler Smythe, who has two regional titles. to And the fun fact about this fight is Nate Russell won this title last year against Joe Poria. And then he was in a crossroads. He was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to go pro. I might stick around for amateur. He's like, but I don't really know what I'm going to do. I don't want to hold up the title. At the time, Joe Poria was ranked number two and Tyler Smythe was ranked number three. He goes, you know what? Let them fight over the belt because if I go pro, no harm, no foul. Those guys hold the flyweight title. If I stay amateur, I'm going to fight one of those guys anyways. And what better storyline if they have my belt? And then I said, you know what, man? I can't argue with that. So Joe Poria and Tyler Smythe fought for the title. Smythe won that title. But kind of like a Henry Cejudo thing, uh, you know, Nate Russell never lost it. He just kind of was like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And that performance by Tyler Smythe intrigued Nate enough to go, you know what? I think I want to stay around amateur one more fight and take on this kid. So we got a title unification. And this fight, hands down, the best flyweight in New England. There's just no questions to be asked after this fight. I love it. It's such a stack card. We didn't even get to talk about Slippery Peter Barrett. So, you know, I... <laughs> That's how good this card is. So, folks, once again, make sure to check out the Cage Titans website so that you can get all of the information on that, tickets, how to watch if you can't make it out to show, all that good stuff. Um, and once again, thank you, Michael, so much for joining me. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Hopefully we'll see you at the fights. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Picket, and MyBookie. And as a reminder, you guys can check us out on Twitter and Instagram. In both of those locations, we are at Top Turtle MMA. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. He'll be back next week as Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we will catch you then.